listening to the OKest Fisher Podcast, part of the OKest Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OKS Fisher Podcast, coming at you from the OKS Fisher Podcast studio. Live in his basement, we have Matt Strime. How are we doing, Matt? I'm here. How are you? Oh, I'm uh, I'm not really thinking about fishing a whole lot, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> we, just wrapped, we just wrapped up our fall muskie camp last weekend, and I'm kind of itching for some whitetail wood stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've... I dove in already uh, a few weeks ago, so October, so far I've only gotten a handful of hunts in and nothing great or spectacular, but uh, it's just nice to be out there doing something a little bit different, you know, uh, chasing whitetails again. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to knock a doe down this past weekend, so yeah, put a little meat in the freezer, so I'm happy for now. Now we go chase the big boy. Yes. Um, we got some fishing going on around here from what i understand there's some of the locals the diehards are still hitting the rivers they're still hitting some on the lakes but you know a lot of the rivers and lakes have been inundated with duck hunters too now so it's uh it makes it a little bit tougher to angle safely so to speak but uh guys are hitting the rivers having some success uh pulling pulling crankbaits uh you know trolling right in the current basically and picking up some pike and some really nice walleyes. So it's that time of year to go catch a nice walleye, catch some pike. You know, and the pike aren't really highly sought after. Uh, they're not targeted often, so they're bycatch, they're accidentals. But when you do catch them, they're pretty nice. Well, this time of year is mostly musky fishing, too. A lot of people got musky on their mind, you know, fall bites, stuff like that. I know, I know my mind's still on them. Um, but it's that time of year, fish them to the ice up. Yeah. Are you getting out again? Probably, I told myself I wasn't going to, but I I can't I can't stop scratching that itch. So okay. I'll get out probably at least one more time this year. Well, that's uh, you're going to do better than me. <laughs> it's time to put the boat away, blow all the leaves out, and get it stacked into storage. So we have a guest today, which is going to be pretty nice. You don't have to sit and listen to us yammer on. Pierce Nels, how are you? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm kind of excited to talk about you because we're going to talk about something that we have yet to talk about, um, and that's trout fishing. In particular, we're talking about fall trout fishing, but mm-hmm. on top of that, the cherry on top of that is you're a fly fishing guy, which we are not. Yeah. And the other cherry on top of that is it's small body of water, small stream trout fishing. Yes. Correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, I specialize in uh, targeting trout um, in the, the Driftless region of Wisconsin here, um, you know, a little over an hour or so from you guys. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot of smaller bodies of water, you know, stuff anywhere from as wide as a sidewalk to, you know, maybe a, a two lane road um, for the most part. And so it's it's a pretty darn good time. It's fun. What are you targeting mostly? Is it browns? Is there a chance at a brookie or a steelhead in any of those bodies of waters? Yes. Yeah, so it, it's mostly brown trout um, at this point. Uh, we're so in the Driftless region. We've got, um, I guess, like 
correct myself there. In the state of Wisconsin, we've got over 13,000 miles of fishable trout water. Um, <clears throat> now, in the Driftless region, I want to say probably 5,000 of that. People are probably shaking their heads and going to correct me on that, but uh, sounds about right. But <laughs> still a lot um, of water to fish. Yeah, there's a lot of good water to fish. And so in, in, in Wisconsin, we've got class one, two, and three trout streams um, where it doesn't necessarily have to do with the caliber of the fish in the in the body of water, but more so um, to do with how they um, basically how, how healthy the reproduction and the self, I guess, well, basically, I'll put it this way. Our class ones are native fish. So in Wisconsin, that's our native brook trout. And they're uh, it's a totally wild fish. Um, and they're, they have a self-sustaining population. So a lot of times those will be going to be your, your headwater creeks, a lot smaller bodies of water. Um, a lot of times our, our brookies, especially in the driftless region, um, we cap out at around like, I mean, like a, a 12 inch brookies, a freaking big brookie in most areas. They will get bigger than that. Um, but for the most part, a lot of our, our class one trout streams, you're going to be finding fish in that probably seven to 10 inch range. Um, as well as a lot of times you'll, you'll find a lot of, uh, fingerlings or young of the year. Um, but then our class two fisheries are, um, they were stocked at one point by the DNR, but since then they've got a self-sustaining population. So the DNR stocked them once, but they don't have to go back. So they're all for the most part, you know, they're classified as wild fish. Um, that's where you're going to find the majority of your brown trout, and also the majority of your bigger fish uh, that we'll find in the driftless region. Um, and then class three or streams, they're stocked all the time. They don't have a um, self-sustaining population at all. And so um, they're kind of few and far between, but <clears throat> you can find some decent fish in those as well, but you're fishing stockers at that point. And so I tend to focus on the, uh, the class two bodies of water. Sure. With class three bodies, either the habitat just doesn't support reproduction. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't have the right kind of gravel. Too much, uh, too much runoff from from agriculture. Yep. Something water like temp's that. big. Water temp, yeah. Water temp is huge. <clears throat> you just don't have the springs along the way to feed them and keep them cold. Yep. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. So, do you primarily do you only do fly fishing when you take guys I, out? I do. Yes. Yep. I'll okay. do. Um, some so like I said, I'll do driftless trout trips, um, but then I'll also do um, when it gets real hot, like it was this last summer. I'll do some walk wade um, smallmouth trips as well on some of our smaller warm water uh, rivers that we've got in the southwest corner of the state. Yeah, it's almost good practice to stay away from the trout. I think when it gets too warm, just because yep. their revival yep. is not going to be so great when the water absolutely is warm. yeah. Yep, absolutely. As the, as basically, as the water temperature increases, the particles per million of oxygen decrease, and trout have a very high oxygen requirement. And so, really, water temps. What we always tell folks: if you've got water temps that are, you know, above sixty-five, just probably stay out. It's it's not worth it, especially with bigger fish. Um, now, <laughs> if you're able to actually catch a bigger fish in the middle of a ninety-five degree day, um, and you drag that thing out. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, chances are you're not going to be able to catch one because it's going to be sitting down in the deepest, darkest, coldest spot in the creek that it can find waiting for nightfall. Um, <clears throat> but you'll be able to find, um, you know, basically if you were to catch a fish like that, a lot of times it's at, at that point with that low 
oxygen content in the in the creeks, it's I mean, that fish is more often than not not going to be swimming away. <laughs> that's that's too bad because those mm-hmm. fish you want in there, those are the ones that are going to reproduce. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a lot, especially those bigger fish. Really, everything over, you know, twelve. A lot of times is going to be participating in in breeding, and that's why um, I suppose that's a, that's a good opportunity to note that if you are in Wisconsin, um, our trout season is now closed. Um, so don't go out after you listen to this and try and harass some trout because uh, <laughs> the DNR rolls up. You will lose your license, but uh, I don't know about that. You'll, you'll get a good slap on the wrist for sure. Um, <clears throat> but if you do want to go target some driftless trout you can do so over in iowa and i think minnesota as well um i know iowa's got a year-round trout season opens if you're really really dying to get out there go ahead and do it but wisconsin shuts their season down um the second saturday or i guess sunday of october every year so that we can allow all of our uh trout to basically spawn and carry out the reproduction cycle um without having fishermen walking through their beds and you know stepping on eggs and killing fry or casting two super aggressive uh trout that are guarding the nests and pulling them off the nests exposing the um the fry and everything there so first saturday of january our early season opens back up but we shut down for the fall which for deer hunters is great but (laughs) sure well and i guess to be able to kind of keep that all together and understand what weekends are what basically mm-hmm. second second duck opener is like the last weekend you're going to get out to chase trout yep or opening yep. weekend exactly. of pheasant yes yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not just a hat rack up there <laughs> so i I guess since I don't fly fish, I have a fly rod collecting dust in the corner. Um, I got it gifted. I think I threw it once and ended up losing the lure, the little popper thing I had for it. So I know mm-hmm. nothing about it. So say you're going to take a person who hasn't fly fished at all out on a, a trip with you. What are you mm-hmm. outfitting them with? What are you teaching them quick tips on, you know, just kind of go through a process of a new client? Yeah. So if, if you were to you come out for a day with myself, um, basically, well, I always like to discuss, um, you know, the client's skill level um, going into it. It just helps me plan the day better. It helps me pick water better. Um, you know, more often than not, I'm having a look at what direction the wind's blowing and seeing if I can make a play on a creek that's going to have wind at our back um, just because it's it, it makes life so much easier, especially for new casters um, and really everyone in general. <laughs> but, um, you know, you can, you can get by with a 15 minute or 15 mile an hour uh, wind at your back, but when that's blown in your face, it gets a little tricky. So um, yeah, basically we'll, we'll, we'll generally, we'll, we'll meet out at the Creek. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll basically, I, I supply all the tackle, all the flies, all the leaders, all the tippet, um, everything you need all anybody needs if they're going to come with me is uh, a fishing license and an inland waters uh, trout stamp um, always tell folks you know bring a hat bring sunglasses if you got them polarizes is pre- uh, preferred um, so that's kind of our, our underwater eyes if you will and that helps us see structure and fish and have a good idea of what's going on um, <clears throat> but from there basically we'll meet at the creek um, and then if it's a new client, we'll go through a, a basic just kind of casting uh, lesson right there. Typically, that takes, you know, depending on the person, it'll take um, 
you know, anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, um, for the most part. And then, you know, especially if you're new, uh, you're totally new to it. Um, it, it, the whole day is kind of your, your first lesson and stuff. And it, <laughs> yeah. it definitely can. And, and I, I don't say that to, uh, to scare people one bit cause it's, it's a lot of fun. And I don't believe I've had a trip yet where we haven't had somebody go from first cast to first fish. So I'm pretty proud of that. Not to toot my own horn. Um, I've had very good clients, so I'll chalk it up to that, but, um, it, you know, and de- depending on conditions and everything, um, you know, it's easier. That can be easier said than done. Um, obviously, we don't never guarantee fish, although it, uh, you know, it certainly helps when they cooperate. But, you know, on, on a summer like this summer where we were in an extreme drought the entire year, you know, it definitely is tough. It's tough fishing. It's inconsistent rather than when water levels are good and everything's happy and we've got good cloud cover and all that. But basically, we'll do our... Um, you know, our casting lesson, and then we'll hike out to wherever we're going to, um, you know, start our, our trip. And then more often than not, we'll just start hiking. We'll fish back to the car. Um, I run half, three quarter and full day trips. My three quarters are, um, pretty seldom. I kind of depend that on, um, really it's, you know, I'm flexible. I, you know, I'm, I'm just one guy. So I, I stay pretty flexible, um, with, you know, my clients plans and stuff. If it's, kind of you know say they book a half day and then um we end up you know presuming there's not another trip that afternoon um you know if they if we're really getting onto the fish and they're like you know what i can like can we stay out for another couple hours yeah sure you know i don't supply lunches or anything on three-quarter day trips full full day trips i do um but basically your half day trips the four hour trip three quarters is six and full days eight with lunch um and so really the only time we're leaning towards three quarter instead of a full day as if we've got conditions like we did this summer where we're going to start really early. We can't really maximize, um, you know, we can't really stretch it a full eight hours. And so we'll try and get out there at sunrise and get off the water by noon. So usually that's like a 6am to noon kind of deal. So that we're catching the, basically we're fishing to the fish during the coolest water temperatures that they're going to be for that day. Um, so, yeah. And it kind of depends too on, uh, I guess I should say it depends. We sort of have seasons within our trout season as well. Um, so our, like I said, our, our early season here in Wisconsin opens the first Saturday of January. Um, it's cold. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it can be a lot of fun. It can also really suck. Um, but you know, it's, it's not our, our prime season. I'll just say that um, <laughs> you know, if folks want to go out and if they've never done any winter trout fishing before and they really want to, um, we can do it. We're generally limited to, um, you know, a half day trip. And it's usually between 10 a.m. and about 2.30 or 3 o'clock um, just because that's when the water temps are the highest. That's when the like pretty much the only time the fish are going to be that active for the day. Um, but it's pretty cool because even in the winter, um, you know, I'm, I'm, try and refrain from diving down the uh the rabbit hole of entomology just yet but even in the winter we will end up getting on some hatches where if we've got a nice sunny um you know say it's a 30 some degree day in january or february um you will be able to find pods of rising trout um eating midges and stuff on the surface which is pretty cool to see when you've got you know three feet of snow on the bank so it's just kind of unique but um if nothing else it's worth 
just being out there to see that yeah. with the snow on the banks yep. and maybe, you know, in the hills, it it's pretty. It's exactly. It's pretty awesome to see sun maybe peeking through the clouds to see all that. I, yeah, I can just imagine. Absolutely. How, how it's cool also it a really, really good time to look for deadheads as well. So. Yeah, well. and with, with uh, CWD as prevalent as it is in the area, unfortunately, I bet you, yeah. you run into your share of them. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. So basically our, our, I I guess I should say our, our hatch season starts, uh, typically at the end of March, mid March to end of March, depending on how early it gets. And that's when we're getting on all of our, um, aquatic insects. So in the driftless region, that's midges, mayflies, caddis. We have a few stone flies. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one. And then we'll, in the summer, we'll get into terrestrials and all that. Um, but basically in the, basically from March through like end of May, early June is when we're going to be getting on the majority of our, our peak hatches. And so basically when you hear that, um, if you're unfamiliar with fly fishing, that's essentially when all of these aquatic insects, um, which are basically they're aquatic insects because they spend the majority of their life subsurface as nymphs crawling around on the bottom of the water or on the, um, sorry, the bottom of the stream bed there on rocks and branches and debris and stuff like that. And then when the conditions are right, whether that be air temperature, um, light phase, like if there's good cloud cover or not, um, or just time of year, really, then those nymphs will basically when the conditions align, then that'll trigger a hatch. And so then the nymphs break free from the bottom of the Creek and they start swimming up towards the surface. And then hopefully they're able to, uh, break through the surface tension of the water. And when that happens, um, well, it's kind of two things there. Uh, hopefully as they're swimming up there, they're shedding their exoskeleton, um, of their nymphal body. And then hopefully when they punch through the surface tension of the water, they're able to get rid of that, um, exoskeleton or we call it a shuck and then dry their wings. They can fly around. Um, they'll mate with other mayflies or caddis or whatever, um, you know, is hatching at the time. And then they'll come back down to the surface of the water. They'll lay their eggs. Those eggs trickle down to the bottom of the Creek and the cycle repeats itself. Um, and so that's pretty fun. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun, especially when you can time up a good hatch. Um, some of the best days that we'll have, especially for our mayflies, um, is our blooming olives is our, our most common mayfly that we'll see, uh, especially in the spring. Um, but like a, a really crappy, like a 40 or 50 degree day with overcast, drizzly, nasty weather. That is like some of the best hatch weather that you will be able to find. Um, so we, we look forward to that stuff. And then once you get into June, um, you'll start to see really kind of like May and June, you'll start seeing um, terrestrials come out. And so there'll be more basically land insects. Um, so you're thinking ants, beetles, um, damsel flies at times oh that's an aquatic insect but um the little skinny grasshoppers yep Yep, exactly Mm -hmm. and then towards the end of the season our grasshoppers hatch and this year it was kind of brutal because it was just so hot we didn't have the the big booming grasshopper hatch that we've had in years past um so it it was almost kind of like a trickle hatch for hoppers but we ended up having a lot more luck this year on on smaller bodied more slender kind of subtle um beetle and ant patterns 
Um, but normally hopper season is an absolute riot where you're throwing big foam bugs and pretty much slapping them on the water right next to the grass. And, uh, you'll find trout just absolutely losing their minds on those things and, you know, coming full breach out of the water to just crush them. And a lot of times you'll find some bigger fish that way as well. Um, cause they're looking for that high density, um, or I guess high calorie density, uh, meal at those times. Um, so that's, that's a really good, really, really just fun time. Like <laughs> I always tell folks, like if you want to learn how to fly fish, like that's like the most fun and like oftentimes the most forgiving time of year to do it because you're just throwing these, you don't have to be subtle about it. Um, you know, it's a lot of short, quick casts, short drifts and stuff. The only thing that we do run into is tall bank grass at that time of the year. So, you know, there's a little bit more to snag on. Um, but each year or each season within the year kind of has its own, um, you know, ups and downs and its perks and stuff like that. Um, it, it's, fun to kind of work your way through everything uh throughout the season but then uh you guys asked me to come on to talk about fall fishing so i suppose we'll get to that now um <laughs> hey man we knew we would get down a rabbit hole it's just the way you get excited you get i kept the bug lecture pretty yeah, short there i'm proud of you, myself but you did good you, you basically said hey match the hatch right yes that's what's yep. important so if yep. we're matching the hatch in you know fall fishing right now or the past couple weeks what are we looking at throwing? So in the past few weeks, so basically our, it's kind of goofy. So, you know, before this, we were chatting about bluegills and bass and stuff like that. Yeah. They all spawn in the springtime, right? Right. Our trout spawn in the fall, which is why we you know, shut down our season here in Wisconsin. Um, and so honestly, fall trout fishing, especially this, like the last two weeks of our season um, this year, I've kind of had the same mindset of like, if I'm hunting a big buck, you know, they're getting ready to breed. They're getting fired up. They're territorial. They've got a little bit of a bad attitude to them, especially those male trout. Um, and essentially right now, like any other fish pre-spawn, they're throwing the feedback on and they are getting ready to expend all their energy going into the spawning season. And so the males are getting fired up and they're looking for a big easy meal um and a lot of times it's you know they're looking for a the, the big easy meal but b they're kind of pissed off and they want they want to smack something um and so fall is an awesome time to do some streamer fishing um and so streamers essentially we've got i guess if we're diving into the types of flies here we have dry flies that sit on the surface that imitate um you know a bug that fell in and is floating on the surface of the water we have nymphs um which are basically imitations of the nymphal stage of those aquatic insects that have yet to hatch um, and that basically will imitate one of those that gets dislodged and is floating down the current um, or down the stream towards a, a hungry trout hopefully and then we've got streamers which can kind of imitate a bunch of different things but basically it's a it's a larger fly that's designed to imitate um i mean it could be shoot anything from you know other fish to crayfish to leeches um i guess that's typically those those are the yeah. main ones but yeah Leech, um, leeches minnows any of the bigger bodied baits that would yep. be swimming around in those creeks and, and small rivers so, exactly 
yeah, yeah. basically anything that swims. They, they um, might have a little flash to them. They might be more dark colored to imitate the yep. leech or, or the yeah. dad. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, streamer fishing for for trout isn't. I mean, really, stream fly fishing with streamers is. I mean, I think it's something that just about everybody should do. You guys, in particular, as we were talking about harassing panfish and stuff, um, you know, on some of the water near you guys, I would love to take you guys out to pound some crappies in the springtime or something, man. Because like, I've it, it's incredible with just a stupid little fly like a woolly bugger that when wet looks almost identical to a crappie jig, like a little bucktail jig or something like that, except you can move it exactly how you want to, and it will suspend the way it needs to. And so we, we kind of have a joke um, that, that a lot of, especially you know, fish like panfish and bass and stuff like that, they're, uh, they're lure smart and fly stupid. Cause they, <laughs> they see a lot of spinners. They see a lot of, uh, you know, big grape or fruit punch scented worms and stuff like that. Uh, not that those things don't work, but having something that's got the breathability and kind of that flicker and the wiggle that, you know, flies do with that natural, uh, those natural fibers or um, you know, stuff like that, that it, it seems to fool a lot of fish. And I would, I, with the exception of deep water fishing, <laughs> I would put flies up against any other, any other hardware. Um, and so in the fall, we're, we're doing a lot of, like I said, we're, it's a lot more streamer fishing um, for our, our larger trout. And so that it's a great time to catch some of the bigger fish that are in the system. Um, they're going to generally be more so in kind of an ambush or a feeding position for the last week or two. Now um, a lot of our bigger fish that we ended up catching were like right at the head of a riffle or at the top of a pool, right where all that fast water was moving in there. And they were basically just sitting right behind a boulder. You know, actually a couple of them were in you know, water that was, I mean, maybe like mid shin deep um, and basically just sitting in between two boulders where the current just barely created a little pocket for him. But basically they could look upstream and they could snack anything that was coming down on either side of them. And, and we ended up pulling out a couple of 16 inch fish, um, you know, just swinging streamers right over the top of a, of a riffle in there. And that's, that, that was a ton of fun seeing some of those fish <laughs> swipe and stuff like that. Especially we got a lot of rain right towards the end of the season there. So our water was kind of stained. So seeing that big buttery yellow flash all of a sudden roll out from behind a rock was pretty cool. Um, but you will find them. Sorry, go ahead. Just before, before you go any farther, I, get, I mean, acquiring minds probably want to know when you're talking like, you know what you're looking for in the water. Explain like mm -hmm. where, where the fish are sitting, whether it's a bend or a bull. Explain, just quickly explain what you're actually looking for. Okay, so sure. we're not walking aimlessly up and down a stream, casting everywhere right. and not catching right. Yeah, yeah. So trout like to sit. So basically when you're fishing for trout in creeks, they're going to 98% of the time they're going to be facing upstream because that's where the oxygen's coming and that's also where the food is coming from. Um, and so trout are pretty spooky. Um, and so they like to basically they'll, they'll, they'll sit in areas where they're close to the main current, but they're not necessarily in it. 
in a way that they're expending a bunch of energy. So a lot of times it'll be right next to current, or maybe they're in the current, but they're just behind a boulder, basically something that's going to allow them to conserve energy without, um, you know, basically, I'm sorry, I had that backwards, basically, you know, allow them to get a lot of food without conserving a t- like more energy than they're consuming. Right. Um, and so a lot of times what we'll, what we'll look for in creeks is bend pools and stuff like that. Cause trout or trout like to be, uh, you know, protected. Um, they've got herons and, uh, clumsy fishermen and stuff like that stumbling around them all the time that are trying to catch them. And, uh, so they'll actually use the, the surface of the water kind of like, uh, we would uh, a window more or less. And so think of, if you're looking through like an old timey kind of stained glass window, that's all kind of warped and stuff like that. It's really difficult to see through, um, versus, you know, the windows on our, our windshield, super smooth. We can see through it perfectly. Trout use water the same exact way. And so if they're looking up in a nice glassy pool, they can see a lot and they will be spooked by a lot. And so the big thing when we're fishing for trout is, finding a lot of times it's finding broken water and finding some deeper pockets of water um, as well. Cause basically as the water depth increases, the, the lateral vision of the trout decreases, if that makes sense. So they have a thing called the cone of visions, so basically in shallow water, they can see like that cone super wide out to the side of them. And so they can see a ton on either side of them. But as they get deeper and deeper and deeper, that cone gets narrower and narrower. And so in certain bend pools and stuff that are maybe four or five feet deep, we can stand right on top of that fish more or less and uh, cast over the top of them. Whereas if it's in shallower water, that fish is going to see us coming like crazy, which kind of brings me to how we approach our fish for the most part um, when fly fishing. If we're, if we're not streamer fishing um, and using you know, hoppers or dry flies or nymphs or whatever we want to do, um, what we'll do is fish from behind those fish. And so basically we're sneaking up on them from behind. We're going to try and cast just up ahead of them by a couple feet to lead them just enough that we're not throwing our fly line over the top of them and alerting them to our presence but just enough that they have time to see that fly come to them and then they can make a move to it and hopefully eat it um, as they're fishing to them. And so when we're looking for trout in a creek, bend pools are key. Um, Broken kind of, you know, faster moving water and stuff like that. A lot of times we'll hold fish as well, especially if there's kind of pockets behind larger boulders and stuff. Um, Slower long glides where there's not a ton of current there will be fish in them if you see a fish that is on the bottom of the creek and it's sitting there kind of laying like a two by four down there not doing anything um that fish is resting and it's going to be really difficult to catch a lot of times we'll just move past that not that you know not that it's impossible to get that fish to eat that, you know, you might be able to move them with a hopper if it's sitting down in the bottom and you, you know, drop one up ahead of it. So it's got time to look for it and stuff. Um, but you know, trying to throw over the top of that fish over and over and over again, if he's not moving, that fish is resting and he's not in a feeding pattern. So a lot of times we'll move on to find that faster water, um, really sort of any sort of my dear brain wants to call it a pinch point, but <laughs> uh, more so a funnel 
well, that's not much better, I guess, but <laughs> um, more so a funnel where the current kind of gets condensed down into a narrower um, uh, you know, section of the of stream there. And typically it's going to be on the outside of a bend um, where you're going to find most of the currents being forced and the water is going to be a bit deeper. And, you know, a lot of times we'll find undercut banks and stuff where the water actually pushes into the dirt um, and fish will hide up underneath there because they've got total safety from stuff above them as long as you don't you know the bank doesn't collapse on them um but also they can lean out they can grab food and they can sense the vibration of in the driftless region it's a lot of cows and stuff in pastures but you know whether it be cows or us fishermen they can feel the vibration of our footsteps vibrating down through the bank and a lot of times that will alert fish to our presence as well um now we i've chatted with a couple of you know, friends of mine who guide in the area as well about whether or not our fish that live in, uh, you know, some of those pastured streams and stuff actually, uh, are that susceptible to being spooked by, you know, the thousand pound cows and stuff like that, that are that they uh, here all the time. Right. Right. It's like, if they can deal with a herd of cattle versus, you know, two guys walking down the bank, are they really going to be that scared or will they recover pretty quick? And typically we'll find them recovering fairly quick. Um, yeah. They got to be used to cows walking around right. the streams all the time in the driftless. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times too, I mean, there, it makes, I mean, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. There's certain <laughs> creeks that have a, a lot of people know what that creek is um, and what those creeks are. And, you know, cause they get pressure because they're easy to fish, right? It's, it's all bank grass and for, uh, there's low bank grass cause you're out in the pasture and whatnot. Um, but basically what you're going to look for, like I said, is bend pools, a faster bit of water at the top. And then it's going to basically, when you've got that transition from fast water into slow water, typically, where it starts to transition to slower water below that is going to be a, a deeper kind of a hole in the Creek bottom. That's going to hold fish. They'll sit right down below that faster moving water so that they can look up. And if they see it, you know, food coming over the top, they can just lean up, snag it and go back down to resting. Um, yeah, it's really the, <laughs> I would say bend pools. And, uh, you know, quicker moving runs and stuff like that are, are your are your friends. As we get into the summer and stuff like that, overhanging bank grass, kind of, again, kind of in those those quicker moving bits of water. But trout really enjoy faster moving stuff, a little bit of chop on the water and somewhere that they can hide. I guess a, fo- a follow up to that, you were saying you cast like if you spot a fish, you're casting just a little bit in front so the fly line doesn't get there. Yep. Are you ever just fan casting? Or do you only cast when you see a fish? I will fan cast. Um, the way I like to tell folks to do it is if you've got, say we've got, you know, a creek and the the main current kind of runs along the left side of it, the right side of it, you know, the right four feet of it, maybe it's like ankle deep. We can see that there's not a fish sitting in there, but it drops down and it gets kind of down into a little bit of a trough there on the left side. Maybe there's some nice boulders and stuff along the bank that are uh, providing some cover and stuff. What I'll do is I'll take that area where I can see it transitions down into the deeper water and I'll basically break that into lanes as if it was like, think of it like a, like a highway more or less. 
And so essentially what I'll do is I'll take that lane or each lane and then I'll cross section it and essentially have, you know, depending on the size of the Creek, a lot of times it's like three foot chunks where I'll work. Okay. Near right, near middle, near left, then take a couple steps up and I'll basically just break down the water that way. That looks you know, for lack of a better term, fishy, um, or like it may, may hold, uh, fish and stuff. And throughout the day too, you know, while you're out on the water, you'll kind of figure out, um, depending on, you know, the day and stuff. And, you know, as you spend more time, uh, it's like, like anything really, you, you kind of get a sense for, okay, well that looks like it would probably hold fish and stuff. But if you're out there trying it yourself, um, you know, brand new, you can kind of figure out, okay, like we got two fish right at the head of that pool. There's another pool up there. Like, yeah, we'll kind of work through the tail end of this, but like if they're in more of a feeding pattern and they're sitting further up in those pools or up near the top of a run, um, you know, maybe we'll focus our efforts up there a little bit better. Not that again, you shouldn't pick through it all, but you can kind of uh, more or less hotspot things as you go further and further up. Interesting. So spot on a spot kind of stuff. See a deeper yeah. hole, you're going to fish. Yeah, like... Yep. Yep, exactly. And you can fish, you know, you can fish a deeper hole a number of ways too. You know, you can break it down where, you know, if you see, you know, say you walk up on a, on a nice deep hole, um, you can see there's a couple of fish rising here and there. Okay. It looks like there's, you know, blueing olives hatching. I'm going to try and throw some blueing olives, um, you know, up in front of those fish that I can see are there and are actively feeding. And I'm going to see if I can catch them. Um, maybe on the way up there, because it's, it, it is important to note that again, I might botch the statistic here, but I think it's, I, I want to say it's 85% of a fish's diet or a fish's feeding is subsurface. And so one of the best things that we can do, um, as fly anglers and that we spent, I mean, we do this year round almost regardless of entirely of what we're fishing. Um, but we'll do what's called a dry dropper. And so basically we'll have a dry fly. Um, so you'll have your fly line, your leader, and then you'll attach your dry fly to the end of your leader. And then off of the bend of your dry fly hook, tie 14 to 18 inches, um, 14 to 16 inches of, uh, you know, tip it and then have a nymph down below so that that way you've got two flies in the water and you essentially have an edible bobber um, that you can kind of seek out fish with. And then you're giving them the option to, if they see your dry fly and they really like the looks of that, they can come up and eat that. Or if they're not in the mood to move for a dry, they've got that nymph that's coming down in their face as well. And so we can do that um, in a variety of, of different ways, you know, throughout January and stuff. A lot of times I'm, I'm throwing like a size like 18, which I know sounds kind of ridiculous, but like a size 18, um, midge dry, or like just kind of a general, um, dry fly, like a, a parachute Adams, a, a classic, just like standard run of the mill, um, mayfly yeah. imitation. I'll throw something like that with a size 20 midge dry down below. Yes, that's tiny, but sounds <laughs> like bus- ice fish flies, flies man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think yeah. we're going to have to have you on and talk flies in general cuz it's like you're throwing all sorts of parachute atoms and mm-hmm. 
Matt's gym sock, and I don't know what else. Some other cool yeah, the stuff fly, there. fly names get out of hand real quick. So do That's salmon. So do salmon. Uh, salmon spoon colors. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically, we'll we'll in the spring we'll do a lot of just smaller um, you know, imitations of whatever bug is hatching with if you can swing it, you know, an even smaller nymph imitation down below. Um, just to give them the two options. And then as we get going into the summer and stuff, then, okay, our dry fly gets a little bit bigger. We'll throw, you know, beetle patterns, and then eventually we'll get up to the hopper dropper. We've got a big foam grasshopper with a um, nymph down below that as well. But um, for fall stuff, you know, we're (laughs) – you guys asked for a fall trout episode, and I apologize that this no, got man. way off track. We've it's just a, it's just a trout fly fishing. <laughs> yeah, at this point, it's a trout fly fishing extravaganza. Like Let's just it. keep I it like rolling. It. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in the fall and stuff, a lot of times we will wind up still throwing, um, you know, hoppers or beetles and stuff with a, a nymph down below. Whether that nymph be. Um, uh, a midge or a, a mayfly imitation or a scud um, scuds are little tiny freshwater shrimp um, that are available to trout year round. So um, if you're, <laughs> if you want two flies that will catch a trout all year round, no matter what a scud imitation or a midge imitation, those are the two bugs um, that we have nonstop. doesn't matter how hot or how cold it is. Those are always in the stream um, whereas our mayflies, again, are more of a, a springtime thing going into, you know, then we get you know, terrestrials and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, you can you can run from the nymph stage of things. You can run a, a mayfly imitation pretty much from March through September. And then usually outside of that, we'll use a, a midge or a scud down below. Um, and I mean, you can get as creative or non-creative as you want uh, with your dry flies, I guess. Cause a lot of times at the end of the day, it is just an edible bobber more or less um, if you're nymphing, but it does still, cause a lot of times, you know, even with those stupid yarn indicators or the big, you know, pink bubble indicators and stuff, um, it never fails that a trout comes up and smacks at one, like at, <laughs> at some point. So you might as well have a hook in it. Right. Yeah. Um, plus ever- I think having the dropper rig, casts a little bit better as well it just turns over more nicely do, um, do you ever catch double headers on, on i was i was literally just gonna ask that <laughs> i have one time really? one time i've done it yeah really In nine years of fly fishing i've done it once yeah and it's the key to that i think is you need a fish to hit the dry fly first and then the nymph can kind of drag back behind because a lot of times what'll happen is you can actually trigger kind of an instinct uh, bite from a trout if they see that nymph start to twitch um, or, you know, it looks basically it darts or does anything where it looks like, oh, shoot, that thing might be trying to hatch. I'm just going to eat it just in case. And so that was how I got mine. But, yeah, it can happen, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, that's another thing I should note here. When you're imitating bugs, whether it be uh, caddis or you know, mayflies, hoppers, whatever. The majority of the time, especially when you're when you're starting out, you want to give that fly the most natural dead presentation you can. So we call it a dead drift, where basically you're casting 
up above that fish and your fly lands on the water and it moves right along with the speed of the current. Um, you know, a lot of times that requires mending of our line. We're basically, we're adjusting our fly line that's on the water um, to keep our, our drift natural and not having any sort of hang up or anything. Cause at the end of the day, if a fly doesn't look, if, if a bug doesn't look like a bug is supposed to look, a trout's not going to want anything to do with that. They do get very wary and stuff like that. So we're trying not to move our bugs typically. Now, if you're streamer fishing, that's a different story because you, that's basically streamers don't have any scent or uh, taste or anything like that. Like, you know, some of the, you know, you know, I don't know, gulp minnows or whatever, right. <laughs> whatever you want to use and stuff. And so with flies, we're relying entirely off of a visual um, indicator or a visual uh, attraction um uh essentially and so think of um you know you've got spoons and spinners and whatnot that have a blade on them that when you are retrieving them with a spinning rod you feel that while it's going through the water flies don't have a blade or anything so our streamers are typically designed with kind of a fatter head to them and then that's actually just designed to basically push water out of the way and create just a little bit of a vibration but when we're streamer fishing it's all done with the retrieval of our fly line and stripping line in um, in such a way that it makes the the bug look like it's darting around if you know it's a, a minnow imitation or you know trying to run away and then maybe it's dying and so then you kill it right away and a lot of times we get some of our best takes on a nice long pause after you know strip 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 kill it boom and then the races from there so that's my advice on streamer fishing don't forget to pause <laughs> <laughs> i think i think we're gonna have to pick this conversation up more in depth and maybe do a streamer episode or something because mm-hmm. i mean this is all new to us and there's a lot to learn and i think you could teach us a lot I like um, to ramble too, so that's uh, well, guilty of that. Honestly, uh, yeah. It, we're, we're I apologize just, for that. No, no, man. I think this is a great episode. People are going to like it. Uh, they're going to really get a lot of information out of it, and they're probably going to have a whole bunch of questions. Sure. Where can they find you? I so my guide business is uh, Good Chance Fly Fishing. You can find us at goodchanceflyfishing.com or if you're on Instagram. Um, uh, it is just at good chance fly fishing. And, uh, other than that, uh, I just joined the Wisconsin sportsman podcast. Uh, it's part of the sportsman's empire networks. So if you want to listen to, uh, some other, I talk a fair bit about trout on there as well. Um, so if you want to listen to any trout stuff, turkey stuff, deer stuff, just whatever's going on in the badger state, um, go check out the Wisconsin sportsman podcast as well. Great, man. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, It was a short. They're never long enough. They never (laughs) are. There's always something, some kind of rabbit hole to get down. There's always something new to talk about, you know, and you come up with an idea and the rest of the light bulbs go on or they dim a little bit. Depends. But uh, (laughs) great conversation. I'd love to have you back on. I think we we need to dive down a spring rabbit hole. Um, totally for sure. But I think, uh, we need to connect and go do some fly fishing. I'd like to learn. I agree, man. Cool, man. Yeah, I agree. Anytime, man. Great. Anytime. We'll make it happen. All right. Well, 
Pierce, Matt, thanks uh, thanks for hanging out in the basement, the studio, studio, whatever studio. you want to call it. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll catch everybody uh, on the next episode. We're kind of winding her down. We're uh, we're going to be full time deer hunting and not really thinking much about fishing until we get a little ice, maybe. Or Pierce says, "Hey, we should go chase some winter trout." I don't know. You see bet. what happens. But let's uh, fill our tags first. Let's do that. All right. <laughs> Thank you.